Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Well, good morning again. It's always a nice video introduction, eh? I tried to time coming up here so that it coincided, right? Instead of awkwardly standing up here, like... Because I do awkward really good. That's one of the things they're going to talk about a little bit today. How awkward I can be. I'm an expert. All right, but we are, uh, if you're new uh, today, if you're a guest with us or you've just been here once or twice, uh, welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Really appreciate you being here with us today. And uh, as Pastor Carl said, this uh, our senior pastor, Pastor Carl. He's at Impact Church Toronto. We have Impact Church Toronto and Impact Church Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. So things are happening. Things are moving. And uh, uh, what he's talking about, about next steps, what we're doing is we're having, uh, it's just 20 minutes of your time. We got pop and chips and snacks and all sorts of good things. And we just like to meet with you and give you the chance to ask some questions and uh, just like to introduce ourselves to you in a little bit more of a, a more personable way. But if you're here for the first time, thanks so much for coming. And now I'm going to awkwardly talk about uh, inviting people to church. So if you're one of those people here today who are here because you've been invited, uh, just let me be awkward. It's all going to be good. But we're going to talk more about see yourself here. We've been taught, started this uh, the the new year with this new sermon series because we really want to talk about vision 2020 right 2020 vision I don't think it's just I think it's something in the God calendar the God timing I think He's doing something in His church that's awakening us to see things I, I don't think it's just a coincidence of the calendar so we want to be on purpose about talking about vision we want to see. So we talked about how there's a, it's important to see. It's important to, to be able to navigate your way through the world with, with insight, not blindly just kind of running into things. Jesus said, you know, if you follow him, you're going to have the light of life. You're not going to be stumbling around in darkness anymore. So vision's a good thing, but there's some obstacles to vision that need to be overcome, like our own biases, sometimes our own perceptions. Sometimes vision is something that you can see something, but what you interpret and what you perceive are two different things. So Isaiah, he said, you know, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? So we don't just want to see it, but we want to get it. We want to be on board with it. We're talking about uh, vision, and the first thing that you need to do if you want to successfully run your race in life, you want to successfully navigate your way through your world, realize your purpose, enter into the fullness of the beautiful destiny that God has for your life, the first thing you need to see, even before you can actually define what your goals and dreams and all that stuff is, you need to see Jesus. And that's because Jesus in himself, he is the future and the destiny of humanity. He is everything that we will ever be. And there's this exchange that happens when you see him and you see him the way that you really are or that he really is with no veils over your eyes. I mean, all your biases and stuff are gone and you actually look in the face of Jesus. It does something to you. It, it, it gives you permission. It lets you see him and it says, wow, when I see him, I see myself. And I see what I'm really created for, and I see what I'm created to be. So seeing Jesus is really important. This is what the author of Hebrews said, right? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Then you can run your race. But you got to fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you see him, you're going to see yourself. That's just amazing. You know, Jesus isn't just the, the God that we worship, but he, he's man. 
He's God and man perfectly together. When you see Jesus, you get the full picture of who God is, but you also get the full picture of what finished humanity looks like. And we are in him already. That's amazing. That's so awesome. When you look to Jesus, you see God's original intended intention for all of humanity, his design that he had for human beings from the very beginning. So when we, when we look at him, I mean, we've all got role models and people that we look to and aspire to, but I'll tell you what, you can't, you can't get any bigger than Jesus. He is the one who that we are all destined to be conformed to his image. And then last week, Pastor Carl spoke about how we're better together in community. So when we talk about see yourself here, it's not just here in the sense 220 Adelaide Street North. It's see yourself in community. See yourself in vital relationships with other believers. See yourself connected. And, uh, and I love this. Pastor Carl said, many people think that Christianity is a belief system, but it's really a belong system. That's beautiful. Might, might be a little bit challenging at first, but we're going to unpack a little bit about what this, what this means as we talk about today about invite. Invite is uh, it's one of the verbs that we value. It's one of the values that we have as a people at Impact Church. You know, you, you hang out with us long enough and you're going to, that thing, that desire to invite people to church is going to rub off on you. And, it, and it's not just because we want a big church, it's because we want people to experience Jesus. We think that we have, we, we've encountered Jesus Christ here this morning and we want other people to have that same experience. And every single human being, it's owed to every single person to have the, the opportunity to experience Jesus for themselves and make their own informed decision about what they think. And that's what we want to try and, try and create for everybody. So if you've been following along, we've been looking at John chapter 1. I just want to share some verses here with you. It's, uh, the next day it says, John the, the Baptist, who came to reveal Jesus to the Israelites, um, he's looking at Jesus as he walks by and he says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples of John, they heard him say this, and, uh, and they quickly, they left John, and they started following Jesus. And Jesus turned around, he saw that they were following him, and he, and he said to them, what are you guys looking for? Like, what do you want? What do you seek? What's going on here? What, what, what are you up to? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They wanted to know where he was living, where he was staying, where he was, you know, what hotel are you at, Jesus? We want to come hang out. And he said to them, come and see. We'll unpack what that means a little bit later, but I think those come and see, three extremely, extremely powerful words. Can I pray for you? Come and see. If you got that, you've got evangelism. Can I pray for you? Come and see. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I sometimes, maybe because of my past or the type of person that I am, I'm terrified by the concept of evangelism. I don't know if that's okay to say that when you're up here and you got the mic, but... <laughs> I've had so many awkward experiences, like just the word itself. I mean, it's a biblical word. It just li literally means good news, like telling other people the good news. But, but you, know, you know what I mean? Like there's, the, there's this weird notion around it sometimes, and it, and it terrifies me. I mean, when I first got saved, I, like, I had a genuine experience with Jesus, and I was legitimately excited about him. And I wanted to tell people, and I didn't know how, and I was awkward. Just a really awkward human being. I still have the gift of awkwardness. Like, I can encounter you, and we can have a five-second exchange, and you can walk away feeling really weird. I just have the ability to do that. I, I don't know why. It works for me sometimes, though, so don't try and change me. But I, uh, 
I'm not kidding. I, I used to get these little cue cards, and I wrote out on the cue card, John 3.16. I made up my own little prayer. I, I think I even put my aunt and uncle, who I was living with, I think I even put their phone number on it. And then I went to the public library. I, I photocopied this thing. I cut them out. And I would walk the streets of Chester in England, and I would pass these things out to anybody and anyone who would listen. And if they didn't want to listen, I'd give it to them anyways. And if they said no to me at McDonald's, I'd wait till they went to the bathroom and I'd stick it under the garbage on their table so they'd see it. Like, I was creepy. <laughs> but <laughs> I said no, kid. <laughs> but I really wanted people to experience Jesus. I mean, I'd been touched. My life had been changed. I, I, uh, I went to England to play soccer, and I, I wanted to be a professional player. I didn't know how to do that, so I thought, oh, I'll go play, I'll go sign up for high school, and if I'm good enough, somebody's gonna see me. And uh, sure enough, that happened. They saw me playing at, a, at my high school gym class, actually, of all things, but long story short, I ended up blowing out my knee, and I, and I couldn't pursue soccer anymore. Plan B for my life was either play soccer or be a soldier. And I mean, my knee was messed up. I had nothing left, and I put all of my eggs in these baskets, and I was desperate for a sense of purpose in my life. So one night, I had a, I had a dream. Uh, I think Jesus encountered me and spoke to me, and I woke up, and I was just, I was a different person. I was like, I need you in my life. And, and all of a sudden, bam, I went from hopeless purposeless, aimless person to somebody who felt like I had a sense of destiny and that something about my life had been thought of and predetermined from before I was even born. And I walked into a moment feeling like, wow, Jesus has really got me. He loves me. He's created me on purpose. And I'm not just wandering around with no, with no direction at all. I've got, I've, I know what it means to, to belong. And that touched me. That meant a lot to me. So naturally, what else are you going to do besides make tracks and go pass them out to whoever's going to listen? You want to tell people, right? So, so I did. And, and the thing is, I, I then I went to work for a, a, an organization called the, the Light Project in Chester. And I think they're still going. They're, they're an amazing organization. But one of the things they had me do working as an apprentice evangelist is if you know me, you'll find this kind of funny. But I used to stand on the street corner of a really, really, really busy like downtown area, and I used to do drama skits trying to tell people about Jesus. Like, if you know me, that is not me. That's awkward. I think I was an advertisement for don't go here. It, it was really bad. But uh, so, I mean, but I, I got so, so uh, upset, so stressed out about this, what should have been a really natural, beautiful thing, the overflow of my own experience with Jesus and wanting to invite people into that, I ended up getting really weird about it. Like, I remember one day walking to college, and uh, I used to cut through the mall just because I like escalators. I got a thing with them. I like to go up and down them. And so I go down, I walked out onto the street, and I saw a person across the road. And I actually thought to myself, man, how am I going to tell that person the gospel? I don't want to. I'm going to be late for work, or I'm going to be late for college. How am I going to get there? And I literally stressed myself out over it. And then from that point on, I was like, man, I just, I'm going to cool it. I think I'm going a little bit crazy. I don't think this is what Jesus wanted. I don't think this is what he had in mind when he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So anyways, the, the, the whole concept of sharing our faith can be tricky, right? It can be a little bit of a, of a difficult thing to do. So I, I've come to learn over the years, there's, there's three big ideas that have really helped me. And uh, I want to share those with you guys today. But the first one is this. It's, it's okay to be excited about Jesus. Yeah? I mean, we, we live in a world where, you know, people get excited about all sorts of stuff. I'm excited about my soccer team right now. We literally have, like, we've played 25 games and only lost one. That's unheard of. 
Like, I, I could literally stand up here for an hour and tell you about how excited I am about Liverpool Football Club right now. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, <laughs> the funny thing is, sometimes when you're excited and you're passionate about something, you kind of stand out. You know, there's not a lot of people that have something in their lives right now that they're really excited about. And so, you know, sometimes the tendency is you, you don't want to be the loon. You don't want to be the crazy guy who's happy all the time. You don't want people thinking, what did he do on his lunch break, you know? I don't know, he's a little too happy today. But it's okay to be excited about Jesus. Secondly, sometimes we, we really do focus on leading people to Jesus, but sometimes, this is just part of the process that I and others have observed, sometimes the first step of leading people to Jesus is letting Jesus lead people to you. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then lastly, part of an inviting culture, having a value that we as a community embrace and let affect how we do what we do and why we do what we do is it's more about including people than it is informing people. And I think that is actually so countercultural uh, in the world that we live in today, not just in the Christian world, but, but in the world. I mean, everybody's got a viewpoint. Everybody's got a perspective. And everybody wants to share that with everybody and make everybody come and embrace mine. But, I mean, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are actually probably the only community on earth that can legitimately move together towards purpose and say everybody's welcome at the same time. So being able to include people is actually a really, really powerful thing. So the first thing here, people who encounter Jesus, they want to tell other people about him, and being excited about him is okay, and we have biblical precedent for that. Here it says, Andrew first found his brother. Andrew encountered Jesus, and then he goes and finds his brother, and he says, hey, look, we found the Messiah. And his first response was, I found Jesus. Now I want to bring my brother to Jesus. The following day, Jesus finds Philip and says to him, follow me. What does Philip do? First thing Philip does after having an amazing experience with Jesus and responding to the call to follow him is he goes and finds his buddy Nathaniel. And then he goes and gets Nathaniel, and he comes and follows him. We got the example of the shepherds. The, at Christmas time, the angels come and there's the light show, and then the angels go see baby Jesus. And the, the, what it says in Luke 2:17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. I think that's amazing. The shepherds, they saw, they saw a baby. Think about the faith it took. Think about Simeon in the temple. All they saw was a baby in, in messed up clothes lying in a manger. And then they're so excited. They had so much faith. See, sometimes we want to have a, an amazing experience that's going to propel us out into telling others about Jesus. But really, all you need is your faith. Right? If you can see him, if you can see Jesus with the eyes of faith, and with your eyes of faith, you can value him and appreciate him for who he is and what he really is in your life. I mean, you don't, you don't need a heavenly experience to come down and propel you and tell you to go. I mean, if you've been to our invite sermons before, you can reach in your pocket and grab that piece of lead that Pastor Carl gives you. Or with the eyes of faith, you can see, wow, in, in Jesus, in this Jesus who's a daily part of my life, there's literally the answer to every human problem. I need to make him known. We've got the, the woman at the well. This is probably my favorite story, John chapter 4. Uh, there's a woman at the well at, the, at midday. I think she's there because she's embarrassed. She's humiliated. She was known as a bit of a scoundrel, social outcast. She had five, uh, five husbands. And so in that day and age and in that society, that person would have been ostracized, 
rightly or wrongly, she would have been uh, seen as a social outcast and a little bit of a deviant. So she's out at the, uh, the well. Jesus comes along, encounters her, loves her, speaks life into her, and, and has such a profound impact on her that she literally goes from being that person who's hiding, that person who's out in the peak of the sun so that no one else will find her, to being the person who runs into the community and says, hey, everybody, you got to come see. I just met a man who told me everything I've ever done. I mean, all the reasons that she was hiding, she got so radically transformed that she decided that doesn't matter anymore. My reputation doesn't matter. Your criticisms and judgment don't matter. I just experienced something so wonderful. I have to tell everybody, and I don't even care about that stuff anymore. As Pastor Carl said before, her past became a platform, not a source of shame in her life, because she'd experienced something so, so very good. That is the normal reaction of people who encounter Jesus. When he touches your life and you know you've been touched by him, you want to share him with other people. When that's alive to you, when that's real to you, and that would be the, that would be the thing, is let the love of God every day be something that's real, not just something that, yeah, Jesus loves me. They say, no, no, no. I mean, living with the, the consciousness, why the Apostle Paul's always praying for revelation and insight, that the knowledge of the power of God that you already have, the knowledge of his love would be real and alive and vibrant in your consciousness and in your mind every single day. It's not that it comes and goes. It's that our consciousness of it comes and goes. The fact that we see it or we don't see it, but the love of God is always like Paul Ellis says in the Gospel in 10 words, it's like the intensity of a thousand white-hot suns. It's always towards you. It's always on. Sometimes we are aware of it. Sometimes we're not. But the problem is between our ears, right? So if we live with the love of God fully, like just, just bright in our consciousness, it, the love of Jesus just overflows and we want to tell people. So that's the thing. That's the normal reaction of people who have been touched by him. Rick Joyner, quick quote, uh, major leader in the church in, in America. He says, the most powerful evangelistic force in the world is an encouraged church. When the church is encouraged, when their hearts are full of faith and love, which is kind of what courage really means, individual believers share their faith with their friends and their relatives. This is by far the most effective form of evangelism that exists. When you personally are excited about Jesus, that's when things happen. That's when it's easier to share your faith. I mean, when, when the love and the passion of Jesus for you is alive and vibrant inside of you, you're not thinking of ways to do it. You're becoming it. You're not thinking of how am I going to go awkwardly talk to that guy on the street. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be in love with the people that are in my world. The awesome thing about earlier in one of these Bible verses is that uh, Andrew went and told his brother. Philip went and told Nathaniel, his friend. See, you don't have to stress, and we don't have to worry about how am I going to go talk to the guy across the street. Oh, my goodness, I'm so paralyzed. I'm not going to be on time for college. I don't need to do that. What I need to do is love the people in my life. Love the people in my sphere. Let the love of Jesus work through me and impact the people that I see every day. Maybe I go to the same store every day. You know, maybe you go to the same grocery store. You go to the same library or whatever it is that we do. You know, but there's people that are in our world regularly. And we don't have to go off to a foreign place to, to find people to tell about Jesus. They're all around us. They really are. First Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts set aside Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. I love it. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's the part I got wrong. Nobody was asking me questions, but I had an answer for them. I'm running around giving people answers to questions they're not asking. But Peter says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
I did it pushy and obnoxious. You can do it gently and with respect and honor for every for our fellow uh, brothers and sisters as hum human beings, right? We don't have to be obnoxious about it. Uh, but again, awkwardness and obnoxiousness go together sometimes. This is a, this really isn't a call to, to pump up emotionalism and get really fake and weird. It's really just a, a call to acknowledge that Jesus has blessed you. I mean, who can say here, Jesus has touched my life and made me better? He's healed me. He's saved me. He's forgiven me. He's redeemed my life. He's turned things around for me. He's forgiven me. He's literally made me a new person. He's made me a new creation. He's touched and healed relationships. He's taken shame and guilt and fear off of my life. He's done so many things for me. Oh my goodness, when I just think about it. What Jesus has done for me, think about what Jesus has done for you. Let that be real to you every day. And we don't have to get weird and creepy. We just have to acknowledge who he is and what he's done for us. That's good enough, right? Wow. All right, so here's the thing. You, we wanna, we, we've got this experience. We want to share it. How do you actually do it? How, how, do I, how, do I, how do I go about the process of, of introducing somebody to Jesus? Well, like I said before, sometimes we focus on leading people to Jesus, but part one oftentimes is Jesus wants to lead people to us. Now, there's this fellow here, John Finney. He, uh, a scholar, he wrote in this amazing book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism, which I highly recommend to anybody. It's really, really good, but... He, uh, he studied for a long time. What's, what's actually happening in the Christian world? So people, people go from no faith to faith. People who don't care about church and then start coming to church don't care about Jesus. Now they're followers of Jesus. How, how does that happen? What's the process here? And uh, if you're like me, I, I heard all these stories of amazing Christians in the faith who would have these experiences where they would go to the supermarket, they go to the independent, they go to Zeller's, and they'd be walking down the freezer aisle, and then all of a sudden somebody would get slain in the spirit, and they'd lead them to Jesus right there on the spot. Every ounce of their body would be healed, and then all of a sudden they'd be at church the next day, sign up for Bible study, and be your lifelong friend. I heard these kind of stories, and I thought, that's what, that's what needs to happen every time in my life. That's how to do evangelism. So I'd be praying in tongues, walking through the supermarket, be looking at people. Actually, I had a phase where I wanted to be Benny Hinn, and do that. So Jesus, they're not falling. Nobody's getting saved here. What's going on? And that's not to, I'm not trying to poke fun at that experience. That happens. I want that. I pray for that. I, I pray for the day where like Peter, you know, the glory of God can just shine out, just emanate out for me and people get touched and healed just because I showed up because of the God that's in me when I show up. I want that. I, I want that for all of us. I mean, the amount of people even that I know who've said, you know, I, I walked in the building and I felt something. What's going on? What's going on with that people? That, that's amazing stuff. That's a testimony to that kind of thing, right? So I, I want that. But the reality is, if you actually survey people and the people who look into this kind of thing, that's not normal. That's not how most people come to faith. It wasn't how I came to Who Who had that experience? If you did, put your hand out. If a stranger came up to you in public and introduced you to Jesus, and you're here today because of that, you said a prayer in that moment, just raise your hand. Let's see. I don't see anybody. Oh, one. We've got one. So one out of like almost 200 people? That's uh, my math's no good, but not even 1%? Looking for validation from the mathematicians. Half a percent. <laughs> 
just about half of her. Crazy, right? But in your minds, you can create these kind of stories and scenarios where you think that that's actually how it's going to happen. Do you know actually how, how people come to faith more often than not is it's a friend or a family member who talks to them. It's not, it's not even... It's not even that they went to some big public, uh, like a crusade, like a Billy Graham kind of meeting. As, as awesome as that is, and there's tons of people who've got saved that way, but even that, as, amaz as amazing as that is, that's not how most people become Christians. This guy, Finney, he figured it, he did all this studying and he figured it out, and this is what he came to. He said, this is literally the process. First, people are introduced to church through a family member, a friend, a colleague, or, or a Christian friend. Just an invite. Just an invitation to come to church. I mean, not, not saying you got to believe what I believe. Here's a tract or, or here's the Romans road. Here's all the Bible verses that you need to memorize and then come to church so you don't, you know, go up in flames. Nothing like that. Just come. Just come to church, right? And then it says, then they start to ask questions. People start to listen. They start to pick things up. They're like, okay, all right, well, why do you guys do things this way? Why, why, do you, why, why is it that a bunch of people get together on a Sunday morning anyways? What are you doing? I'd rather be in bed. And then they come and they start asking questions. Why, why did you have a moment today where you all ate like some awful tasting grape juice and ate a little wafer? Like, what's that all about? How come somebody's talking about, about giving, really giving money? Oh my goodness, what? And, and they start to ask questions. And then, and then there comes a point where the third step here is people are invited to explore answers to these questions in a little deeper way. So maybe somebody gets involved in a small group. Maybe they'll get involved in a discipleship program or something. And, and some of the intentional, they're, they're invited to intentionally ask questions and invited to intentionally, what, what, what are we doing? What do we mean when we do things like communion? And then come into a specific knowledge, to come into a faith. And then what happens is beautiful. People come to discover for themselves, I think I'm a Christian. Isn't that amazing? But isn't that so counterintuitive to how we want it to look? I mean, we, we want everybody to throw, throw hands up and come rushing up to the altar and all that kind of stuff, because that, that's a paradigm that we worked out of for a long time. But I mean, when you look at the Bible, Jesus just went up to people and said, oh, you, come follow me. And they followed him, and that was it. Three years later, they got the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus is sending people out to cast out demons and to heal people and, and all sorts of stuff, and, and they're not even technically saved yet. Jesus is literally just, come follow me. Come hang out with me. Come be with me. And that's it. That was all he did. So people come and then they, they hang around a while and they start to say, you know what, I think I, think I do believe that. Or I think what he's saying or, or she's saying or, or what my group is talking about, that, that actually resonates with me. And there's this moment, not of decision, but there's a moment of realization. There's a moment of, uh, okay, not a, you know, I, I want you to commit to follow Jesus. There's a moment of, Wow, I, I, think I, I think I believe that he loves me. I think I, wow, I keep experiencing this, this present. What is this? Th this must be what they mean when they say God gives me peace. Wow. And all of a sudden you're like, the light goes on. The light drives out the darkness and you're like, wow. You find yourself home and safe in a place that you've always been. The lights come on and you realize that Jesus accepts you, always has. All you've done is just said yes to that. It's an amazingly beautiful process. That's why Pastor Carl, last week when he spoke about how Christianity is not a belief system, but a belong system, 
That, that's, that's it. It's not that what we're saying is what we believe isn't important. It certainly is. It absolutely is. But what we believe is best communicated and best expressed in our community and our lives together than it is in a belief statement that we could ever put in a book or, or a website or anything like that. We, the church, embody the truth. When the disciples wanted to know the truth, I think it was Philip who said, you know, Jesus, show us the Father. And, and Philip's like, well, here I am. I'm, I'm embodying the fullness of who, who God is. And he says, you know what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's like, show us the way. Show us the truth. Sometimes you want to find out what the truth is, so you'll consult an outside source, right? The, the, the disciples are like, okay, we've been walking with you for three years, and we're still not sure what is this truth you're talking about. What is the way to the Father? I mean, you're telling us you're going to go. Show us the way. And Jesus says, you know what? I am the way. I am the truth. See, truth is not a series of propositional statements that we just need to get everybody out there to agree to, and as soon as they agree to it and tick the box, everything's good. No, truth is a person. Jesus Christ himself embodies the truth. When you have a relationship, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're encountering truth. In our mindset, we encounter the truth when we read it, or when we hear it, or we watch it on TV. The reality is you're encountering truth when you're having an encounter with Jesus, and you're experiencing him. So here's the thing. If you want to experience Jesus, you want to experience the truth, where do we find him? What, what would you say to somebody? How do, you, how do you find the truth? I mean, I've spent enough time giving people Bibles only for them to say, What? Not that there's anything wrong with giving people Bibles. But what I am saying is this. The truth that Jesus is is not invested in the cold, hard pages of a book. He's put it in living epistles. He's put it in us. He's made the community that he is, that he is the head of to be what Paul said, the pillar and the foundation of truth. That's what he said in Timothy. The Bible is a true document. It contains the truth, no doubt, and it will lift you up out of its pages into a personal relationship with Jesus. But the truth on the pages of the Bible is meant to be read as a living epistle, as you rub shoulders and bump up against the people who believe in Jesus and have Jesus, the truth himself, living on the inside of you. That's why Paul said, you are, you are our letters. You're written on hearts, known and read by everyone. You are that letter from Christ. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Isn't that amazing? People come and they experience the way we love each other, the way we relate to each other, the way we engage one another, how we do community together. They're actually experiencing truth. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to share it. We don't read our Bibles. We do all of that stuff. I hope you're not hearing me say anything bad about that. But what I am saying is you need to know that being able to say to people, come and be a part of who we are. Come and experience the reality of Jesus in our community. That's just as important. That's why Jesus said, you know how the world's going to know that you're my disciples? It's not because you're going to write books. It's not going to be because you're going to have the best website in town that can accurately define all of your belief systems. He says, you're going to know, the world's going to know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. The way you relate to one another, the way you embrace the person that comes in, the way we act and engage, and the way we treat people, all of that is a message that's being communicated much louder than anything on the page of a book. So we say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to lead people to you. And Jesus says, okay, great, I'm bringing them to you first. We're the ones who embody the truth. It's amazing. When you look again at the story where uh, Nathaniel says to Jesus, uh, you know, show me, like, where are you staying? 
And Jesus said the words, come and see. He didn't say, let me explain it to you. Let me have all the answers figure out. Let me tell you where dinosaurs come from. And then you can be a believer. He didn't say any of that. He said, come and see. Because Jesus, he understood that, that somebody deciding to follow him, that has an awful lot more to do with including people in a process that lets them experience him for themselves than it does informing them. And that's what leads me to point number three. This is the last, one of the things I've learned too. An inviting culture, it's more about including people than it is informing them. And that means that we do things like invite people to join us in things that we do. We don't have an us versus them mentality. There's no longer outsiders and insiders. I mean, there's something special about us in the sense that we've acknowledged who Jesus is. The light switch is turned on for us, and we have something activated in our lives that we really want to share with other people. But I'll tell you what, Jesus, what he did on the cross was universal. It applied to everybody. There's nobody out there who doesn't have their sins forgiven. There's nobody out there that is uh, too bad, too far, too removed from God. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross was effective for all of humanity and all of human beings, and all the sins of the world were, were dealt with on the cross. Jesus literally has dealt with every single obstacle and barrier to inclusion in the people of God. This is what Paul said in Galatians 2, too. He said, for Christ himself brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. There were people who were insiders with God, and there were outsiders with God. People who knew him, people who didn't. People who had a history with him, people who didn't. And what Jesus did on the cross is he broke down all those barriers. And what he did is he created a new creation, a new type of person. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. Our hostility towards each other has been put to death. He brought good news of peace to the Gentiles who were far away from him. He brought good news to them. And he brought news, good news to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come through faith, come to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. There is literally no reason why anybody cannot come and have an experience, an encounter with God. Nothing. Jesus dealt with it all. Well, you might think, well, what about this person? Or what about that person? Or what about this behavior or that behavior? Tell you what, Jesus dealt with it all. It's already gone. It's already dealt with. There's literally nothing. So Jesus says, come and see. When he's asked, hey, what's going on? Where do you live? What's happening? His answer isn't, like I said, it's not I'm going to inform you. It's I want to include you because I want you to have an experience. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have experienced Jesus today. Being in the house of God, being with the people of God, being in worship with God. I, I, I had a Jesus moment. I'm having one right now. You know, the Bible says that when you come together, Jesus promised us, didn't he? He said when two or three gather, just two people get together. There I am in the midst of them. See, Jesus is here. And, you know, being able to invite people and include people in what we do and who we are, a lot of it has to do with what you think is actually happening at church. Now, if your church experience is, you know, I'm just going to come and uh, we're going to listen to some music. I'm going to listen to that guy up there for a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll run into people. I'm gonna, hopefully I can find a parking spot, fight through the snow. If that's what church is, then that's what church is for you. But I'll tell you what, if church is for you every Sunday, this is the place where you come together and you meet with an all-loving and all-powerful God, that's a different story. You know, I've, I've got on my calendar every Sunday, I'm going to be here. And you know what? If I didn't work here, I'd be here anyways. And I was. 
Because I know that when I come on a Sunday morning, there's an experience with God that I cannot have if I stay at home. I need to be with the people of God. There's something of the corporate anointing. There's something that when the people of God get together and we just kind of all release our faith and the presence of God that's in all of us. Like, I think Captain Planet, when your powers combine, I don't know if anybody remembers that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Mike does. There's something about just that, that, that river of living water that swells when people who carry it get together. There's something amazing about that. When I come to church, I have experiences with people. I interact with people who, who mean a great deal to me. There's people here who've changed my life. There's people here whose, whose faith in me and confidence and their love and their support matters a great deal to me to such an extent that, it, that it's actually helped shape who I am today. When I come to church on Sunday, I meet those people. I don't know about you, but I'm not just, I mean, I, I can still be awkward, but I mean, I come on purpose. There's people here I want to see. There's people here I want to know. There's people here I want to get to know because I'm coming and there's a relationship here that makes my life better, that makes me a stronger person, and I'm happy to come. Church is a place where I come and I leave feeling like I've been, my faith has been built up. That's why I love communion. I think I said this at the first service, but I, I just love it. I love after, you know, you take the, the physical, the, the bread and, the, and the, the juice, and it's just like such a, a moment. It just feels so good after. It's like your faith just so heightened in that moment. It's like that for me every Sunday. I used to think, you know, oh, that's, that's really shallow. You leave church feeling great, and then you feel awful on Sunday or Wednesday. Well, you know what? I feel good all week long, but when I come on Sunday, I feel great. I acknowledge something good and life-changing is happening for me. And because of that, I want people to come. Because I believe that, because I experience that every Sunday, I want to include other people in the process and in the experience that I have. I want people to get to know the people that I know here. I mean, I can't even tell you how happy that makes me, that I can actually invite somebody to church and feel like, man, I can't wait for you to meet so-and-so. I can't wait for you to be part of our worship. I can't wait for you. Like, I, like people that come that I know, I'm like, I hope they go up to the altar, oh my goodness, and get touched by the power of God. Like, that's exciting. I want people to know you guys. I want people to encounter us as a community because I think we're pretty cool. Not only are we cool, but Jesus thinks we're cool. So much so he hangs out with us for nothing that we've ever done, just because of the love and the grace in his own heart. So when I, when I think about the people out there, and I, I, I want to find ways to include them. I want to find ways to bring people in. I want to find ways to say, this good thing that, that so changed my life, this person, Jesus Christ, this community of believers, you got you to experience it for yourself. You got to find a way to get here. I really do. And then the good news, what I love about us too, is when you bring somebody, you can actually believe that hopefully we'll treat them well because it's a big deal. Imagine being a guest in the house of God. When we have people over at our place, uh, I'd say I clean up, but I don't. But Kyle and Claudia came to our house yesterday, and uh, Jen cleaned up. And I tried to help, tried to support. But you make a big deal, right? You, have, you, you, you honor the people that are coming to your place. How much more in the house of God? It's a party. It really is. Now, just think about this. One last thing. Remember the Samaritan at the well? She's had this experience with Jesus. She's full of shame. He takes away her shame. He fills her with so much life, so much excitement. She runs into the town and says, hey, all those things I was embarrassed about before, never mind, let me tell you about them because he forgave me. You need to come and see him too. Remember that girl? She's so excited. Well, this is what happened. This is, this is part two of the story. This is where we pick it up. 
She's run into the town. She's told them all. And it says, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay. And he stayed there two days. Now watch this. Many more believed. Many more believed because of his own word. Many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said. We ourselves have heard him. And we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. In other words, I love your testimony. Thank you so much. But you know what? Thanks for the invite, because that did a lot more for me. I actually got to come and see and feel and experience him for myself. That, isn't that, that's just beautiful. That's how it works. They believed not because of what she said, but they got to experiencing him for himself. And that's, again, not to say that our doctrine doesn't matter, our behavior doesn't matter. It all does. But people need to know they're welcome here. They belong. They belong here. They're welcome in the house of God, and they belong in the house of God. They are invited to the house of God just the way they are. That's how Jesus bids everybody, come as you are. Reference back to communion, but I used to be an Anglican, and I love that they, in the, in the liturgy, they say, I think we've got some Anglican people here before. Yeah? I love how he says, Jesus welcomes sinners to his table. Jesus, you know what? not a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I'm a child of God. But the idea being Jesus welcomes everybody. Everybody's watching. To have that picture in your head of a big old banqueting table. And we're all sitting down together, mowing down on the benefits and the good blessings that Jesus has won for us, symbolized in the body and the blood of Christ with the wafer and, and the bread and the, and the juice. We're all sitting down together and everybody's welcome. Remember the parable? Jesus went out and said, hey, go get everybody to come to the banquet that's being put on, and nobody showed up. So he said, hey, go to the highways, go to the byways, go to the, go to the good places, the bad places, go to the ditch, go to the gutter. Everybody is welcome. And he didn't even say they had to have a shower before they came. He just said they get to come. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I got to come dirty and stinky. I think that's changed. Spiritually, it has. We're all invited. Everyone's invited. So this is, this is it. I hope that's been helpful, but for me it really has been to be able to see that being about, excited about Jesus is okay. Let what he's done for you become a living reality in you every day. Don't be afraid of letting people, letting Jesus lead people to you. And let's find ways together as a group of people to, to, to say to everybody, you're welcome and you're included. And not just you're welcome like you get to come in the door, but you get to come in the door and be a part of us. You know what I mean? You get to come, you can come to my house and you can do group with me. You know what I mean? We want to include people. We don't just want to inform them. Because I'll tell you what, when you're, the message that you're saying when you welcome everybody and you accept everybody, that message is so much more powerful and so much more effective when it's lived out than when it's just spoken out, right? Amen?